everyone. Welcome to See the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and thank you so much for taking some time out to listen today. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and I really hope that you can get something from this podcast. This is a podcast that helps advocate for those who have an illness um, that's considered rare or invisible, and these are usually chronic illnesses as well. It's also you know, helping to show support for those that actually support us, whether it's a spouse, um, a boyfriend or girlfriend, um, family members that help support us because they're also impacted by the invisible illness. And if you are returning to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning back in. Now, this episode was recorded a little differently than the way I normally record episodes. Normally, I'll record the episodes one at a time and upload at the end whenever I'm done um, doing the podcast. Now, for this one, I actually had a very, very long podcast recorded. It was almost an hour, which I'm trying to keep mine just around half an hour if possible. So what I did is I did split it in half. So after this introduction, then the rest of the podcast, um, you'll probably notice because I did as well. My voice is a little scratchy. I do talk a lot about inflammation in the podcast. And during the, um, sorry, during the time that I was recording, I actually had some inflammation going on and you know, it normally sounds like I have a cold or a respiratory infection when I have that going on. So most of the podcast, my voice will sound different. And then I'll get to the end where I recorded a closing. So you'll hear the same voice that you hear right now. Um, so that's just the reason why. Um, also, just to address something that I do, you know, address sometimes, it is difficult at times for me to be entirely consistent with um, you know getting the podcast out on a certain time just because if I do have a flare-up or if I have a lot of doctor's appointments in one week then that might delay it so I may just start recording a couple episodes in advance and if something comes up I'll just drop them in and what I'll do is I'll just go in and record an intro like this so you'll know in case I'm going off topic, you know, so the previous week I had mentioned one topic and for some reason that is discussing another topic, um, you'll know why. So I appreciate any understanding on that. I'm really trying to, you know, get as much information and things done prior to the Monday, which is when I do hope to upload the podcast. So, you know, hopefully as I get a little bit further along and becoming more comfortable um, with recording and researching and everything, you know, hopefully I'll be able to you know, get a better routine going. Now, I always do want to provide a disclaimer, and that disclaimer is I am in no way a medical, insurance, or legal expert. So if you do have any questions, please make sure that you reach out to the appropriate um, expert in that area. And in just a moment, we'll start the second half of the podcast, which was really the journey of how I got my diagnosis. This is going to pick up really at a part where I'm in the hospital. And this really was a very strong emotional 
point for me. Um, I really had a lot going on. Um, you know, not just me physically though, but when I saw or heard about something, it just had a really profound effect on me while I was in there and it didn't impact me. It didn't even, you know, impact anybody who was in the hospital with me at that time. But I'll always associate a certain date with my diagnosis or at least being admitted to the hospital with that diagnosis. So, um, you know, I will let you know just in case it is something that, you know, I find it hard to talk about myself. If you may, you know, want to skip over that part, um, just skip over maybe the first two to three minutes after, you know, the podcast itself actually starts. If I can go in and find the timestamp, I'll put that in the description. But I was admitted into the hospital the day that the Boston Marathon bombing took place. And so I'll describe kind of the feelings I had about that because I just felt so much for those who were going you know, through all of that. And, you know, it's, I just really felt for them because they had just completed this incredible, incredible feat or they were there with family and all of a sudden that was, that joy was taken away and people's lives were impacted. So, you know, Again, I just want to kind of give some preparation for that, and I will go in and find that timestamp. So I'll give you some time um, you know, right now. Um, I'll be dropping off in a second so that the podcast can pick itself up. I do appreciate everybody taking the time to come in and listen, and hopefully, um, you know, if you feel like you're getting something out of the podcast or someone else might like to listen to it, please feel free to share it. You know, I, I do want to kind of lend the message of support to, you know, anybody who wants to hear it. So, you know, I know that sharing helps, you know, spread the podcast as well as, um, you know, the more downloads I have and things like that. And so... Here I will be starting the rest of the podcast. Thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to everyone next week. And while I'm in there, they have a little TV on, and it's interrupted to say that the Boston Marathon had had a bombing. And I just started crying and crying because... You know, even though I was in pain, at least I was in a hospital. And all I could really think of was, you know, the, the runners in the marathon. They just completed something so important. Their family members were at the finish line to greet them. And in a second, the action of someone else ended or changed their lives forever. And that was without warning. At least, you know, I had had some warning, um, you know, feeling the illness to get to the hospital, and I was scared myself. So to imagine people, you know, finishing the possibly the biggest feat of their life, and something like that happens, and you know, I just can't describe the feeling really that I was having. I felt guilty 
about being at the hospital, I think, because again, you, the people who were injured, you, they weren't at the hospital when that happened, that they would be in pain for even longer you know, while treatment started. So I will always know that that's the date I was admitted into the hospital. Um, you know, I, I was assigned a doctor, not from the ER, to see me. I, you know, went through the whole question, is this Stills disease possibly? And his response was, when you hear hoofbeats, look for horses, not zebras. And I was just, I can't say really frustrated. It was much stronger than that. That, you know, it was almost like nobody was listening to me again. I had told many doctors and nurses when going through the family history that my sister had passed away the previous year. But, you know, I was in there probably about two to three days and things were getting worse and they just couldn't figure it out. I was in a quarantine area and you know, at least I think it was called quarantine. I know it was, um, you had to have a gown and mask and everything on to see me. And they told me it wasn't that they felt they would get sick. They felt that there was something in my system. Um, you know, some type of illness. So one day my dad does come in and he, you know, is getting his gown on. The charge nurse was giving it to him and everything. And he mentioned, you know, that the following week would be the one year anniversary of my sister passing. So they had a conversation and found out what it was that she had passed from. And that illness is an inflammation illness. So the doctor at one point looked at me and said, I think we need to start looking for the zebras. And yeah, I know that one of the tests had to go to another lab. They were waiting for some of the test results. But late in the night, um, one of the nurses called the doctor to you know, inquire about some things. And he approved an anti-inflammatory medication that could go directly into my central line. And that felt so good. <laughs> the best way that I can describe it is if you've ever had to wipe ice or snow off your car and your hands are freezing, if you were to go in and put them directly under hot water, how that would feel. And it's amazing that it's almost the same feeling, but the function was different. It helped with the inflammation. Um, previously, they had been giving me some pain medication, but I told them it wasn't doing anything. And what it came down to is the actual inflammation needed to be treated. If that wasn't treated, then I would continue to be in pain. So I'm actually relieved. I'm like, yes, I have a diagnosis. I'm so happy until you know, the doctor told me what the possibilities were. Um, there was a medication that they gave me that they told me could have severe, um, sorry, severe side effects. And sure enough, one of them did end up happening. But until this past year, 2020, there was no FDA approved treatment for what I had. You know, it was that rare that there was no research, no approved treatment. Uh, so it became very difficult to get insurance approval for anything, um, get the actual medication sometimes that I needed because 
you know, it didn't fall under the diagnosis code or something like that. I'm actually going through some of that right now. Um, so, you know, in the end, it did end up being Stills' disease. Um, if my mom had not read that article, I would have never known to try to look for something. But it worked. Um, and, you know, I, I thought my ordeal was over. But when I did meet with the rheumatologist again, you know, I was explained to that it would be a long time for that recovery. And it was a possibility it would be chronic. Now, at this time when I saw her, I probably still had some of the steroid or the effects of it in my system. And I thought I felt fine. Why, you know, can't I go back to work? Why can't I do this? But by probably about day four or five that, you know, I had been home from the hospital, I was in so much pain. So I realized what she meant then. So for the next eight or so weeks, um, thankfully I had disability through work. You know, I was home and slowly feeling better and coming to a realization that there was a possibility I could have lifelong effects from this. And sure enough, I am. Um, with the Stills disease, there's some people who may have only one flare up in their lifetime and then it goes away completely. There can be people who have moderate symptoms all the time and you know, may not have flares that often. You know, there's so many different situations. It's you know, like a bar or percentage, if you were to look at it, there's you know, a lot of people who actually can just go back and they never have another episode. I've had a number of episodes since then, since the diagnosis, but there are you know, two instances, or actually three in my past, that make me think it was possibly a juvenile form um, because this is kind of an adult. Well, from my understanding at the time, it was like an adult form of idiopathic juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So I would still see the rheumatologist. But there were days, you know, where I got up, I could barely walk. And I was able to work somewhat normally for about the next six, seven years. But recently my doctor has told me, you know, my body's not bouncing back. I had had an infection just before the flare-up that I had. And I'm prone to infection due to another illness, so they're kind of fighting each other. And... You know, the, the infection was really bad that time and she's like you need to come out so I'm going through that process now it's more than a little difficult for me which may be why I decided to start the podcast um, it, the episode releases may be sometimes a little erratic you know not on a certain day or time and that's actually because you know I'm I'm not really sure what days I'll be able to finish them. You know, there was a time not too long ago I couldn't sit up for an extended period of time. So you know, when I'm you know, just doing daily chores, I sometimes have to sit or have you know, my support system, my husband and kids try to help. So like I said, this did change my life. It was lifelong. Um, 
I do think looking back, there may have been times where I actually did have this as a child as a form of the idiopathic juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. I was, I believe in fourth grade and I was sick for probably over two weeks. And I was just so afraid I'd be held back because of that. But, you know, I had pretty much the exact same symptoms and I remember this. Then when I went to college, I had two very similar instances again. And in one case, the professor actually saw me when I came walking in and she said, no, I'm walking you back to your dorm. That's how bad I looked. And she actually did. She took my bag, walked me back to the dorm, um, went and got me something to drink. I mean, so I'm thinking I'm, I apparently look pretty bad here. My friends and roommates kind of got on a schedule of who was going to go get me lunch or dinner or something to drink. Um, they were making sure to check in on me that my roommate was in class. So, I mean, it was really a number of people who kept an eye on me during those times. Um, and that happened twice. You know, the physician's assistant that we had on campus, she couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, I had the whole sore throat and everything. That was feeling beyond what a sore throat should feel like. And the whole coughing and burning of the lungs and you know they couldn't figure it out and I just remembered too there was a time probably about 13 or 12 years prior to my diagnosis that one doctor thought I had inflammation around my ribs um, and that that is part of the illness that the inflammation is what actually causes the major issues with someone. That inflammation can damage any internal organ. So it's very, very important that I need to keep this as much under control as I can. And probably I also have a theory about um, the rash that comes along with the Stills disease. My hands, when I first saw them, it almost looked like they were covered in little teeny clear blisters. But then that kind of settled down, but still they were very, very red. And that's what led the doctor to think that it was eczema. Well, on other parts of say like my chest and everything, it was kind of a steady pink color. And then on my legs, it was almost like a marbled effect. And my thought was, you know, the inflammation is closer to my skin on my hands. So being that close to the skin, it created a blistering. Then on my chest, it's not quite as close to the surface of the skin, but still close enough so that it was a steady red or pink. And then on my legs, it tended to be the furthest away. And that's why it created more of a marbling because it was not you know, steady and close to the skin. So that was very confusing, I admit, because the source of the rash was the same thing, but it looked differently and the doctors were actually attributing it to three different items or three different illnesses. So that was you know, really how um, we came to my diagnosis. It took a long time. Um, the first test that the one doctor ran for lupus was, you know, more than a decade 
you know, previous to when this happened, there was a lot of people, you know, even within the healthcare field that had never dealt with anyone with this illness. One of the doctors even came and took a picture. And, you know, at that point, I really didn't care. I was just so happy to have a name. But then I realized, you know, after having to explain what it was to people that, okay, I'm going to be explaining this for the rest of my life. Um, it'd be one thing if, say, it was just rheumatoid arthritis. I think that's the one um, type of symptom that everybody is familiar with. But there are so many more aspects to what I have, and it was more than just the arthritis, more than the Crohn-like or Crohn's-like um, symptoms. And so every day, yes, I'm still you know, having to explain some things because my symptoms also can mimic you know, everyday colds or sinuses. Sometimes I have to sit there and try to figure out, all right, do I need to take some Benadryl because it's allergies? Um, is this sinuses or could it possibly be the beginning of a Stills flare-up? And I just never know quite how to figure that out. Sometimes I will have a really good feeling about what it might be, but then other times it's just impossible to figure. Um, so that even when one of my doctors will say, you know, how are your sinuses? I'm like, well, I, I think they're okay. You know, I still haven't figured out exactly how to figure out, um, you know, what I'm really going up against every day. So one of the questions that I do get asked is, is Stills disease fatal? Technically, the disease itself is not, but the effects of it are. Um, and what that means is the inflammation can cause damage or fluid to build up around the heart, the lungs. It can cause liver and kidney damage. Um, I did have an experience with one doctor who told me there was no abdominal pain associated with stills, yet if you go to some websites, it's very prevalent on there to say that, yes, there is abdominal pain, and that's because there's inflammation around you know, certain organs. So literally anything that can become inflamed will become inflamed. That's usually where I start my explanation because, you know, if someone really understands that, they probably won't ask many questions. Some people might ask a few, you know, but that's really the best way to explain it. Um, some days I, you know, have very few symptoms. You know, of course, I think I'll always have, you know, some arthritis feel, you know, I always feel um, some pain in my joints and muscles. Other times, though, you know, I don't always have the sore throat. You know, I don't always have some of the other symptoms that are associated with it. But the rheumatoid arthritis part is pretty much always there. Um, Stills disease or probably any type of auto-inflammatory disease can lead to other issues. Um, I've learned some terms I didn't think I'd ever know, uh, like iritis. There's different types of arthritis. I have inflammation around my eyes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a process. Every day I learn something new about this illness. 
we do need to keep a constant check on my liver functions, my kidney functions. I have a pulmonologist now also for the lungs. Um, I don't have to see a cardiologist that often, but if I have ha or if I am having any type of pain or tightness in my chest, they'll usually send me there. You know, the biggest hurdle really is the treatment because it is an orphan disease and there's not a lot of research or a lot of treatments out there. It's hard to get the approvals through, through insurance. So it was nice to get the one approval last year um, you know, of a medication that could be used to treat Stills disease, but everybody reacts to different medications differently. What might be you know, a good treatment for one person is not the best for another person. So we still have a long way to go. If you cannot take that medication that was approved, you're still left taking things such as steroids that have a, a ton of different effects that it can have on a person. I even had to have cataract surgery because of that. So there's just a whole slew of different um, side effects. I can't really say how many people have actually been diagnosed with Stills disease or even an approximate. I've read so many different things where one article will actually say one in a hundred thousand, some will say one in five hundred thousand, and so forth. Um, I myself think there's actually more out there. It's just they haven't been diagnosed. They might have felt like I did for so long, and you know, if they haven't had a severe flare-up in a while, they're just trying to get through day by day, you know, still feeling the pain but not getting any treatment. And that can have long-term effects because inflammation eats away at joints, and they can have long-term joint issues even if it doesn't start affecting you know, the heart or the lungs and things like that. Now, a lot of people who have Stills disease, they may not have any future flare-ups. So there is a percentage of people who, you know, they have an initial big flare-up, which means all the symptoms are, you know, there, they're in full force, and it's really having an impact on their lives, kind of like mine did, where I did end up being hospitalized. Some of those people never have another occurrence. Some may have lingering and nagging symptoms all the time, but never have a major flare-up again. Then you have so many people, they just fall along this spectrum from either never having another occurrence to pretty much living in a constant flare-up. I have a support group online and one time somebody was explaining what their day was like and you know, because it is their story I don't want to you know, say anything um, you know, specific but my thought was I'm very lucky you know even though I have pain pretty much all the time I know I have to watch out for a lot of different things in my life I know my immune system's compromised at least you know I I can get around somewhat on my own. I have fallen quite a few times. Um, I, I've 
developed fibromyalgia. I do have some numbness in my limbs, you know, normally along my fingers and my feet. So that was very, very weird. Um, I would be walking and literally I couldn't feel part of my feet. And that kind of brought me back to a place where I remembered when my sister was in the hospital and she had actually worked at that hospital before her diagnosis. And a few people did come up to talk to us, see how we were doing. And one of the women mentioned that she was walking one time and my sister told her that she couldn't feel parts of her feet. Um, She also told us that sometimes she would go to stand up and not realize that her foot or leg was numb and she would fall. And, you know, I have fallen more than my fair share. Sometimes I can get up on my own. Sometimes I can't. I think one time I fell five or six times in a three-week period. And I, if you were to look at me, I was like one giant bruise. Um, I actually didn't even remember one of the falls. My husband had to help me up. And when I was leaving a message with a nurse for my doctor and my husband heard me you know, say how many times I had fallen, he you know, interjected and said, no, you, you actually fell another time. So that is something that I've learned too with the fibromyalgia is it can start to affect some cognitive abilities. So um, I had really been resisting going out of work um, for a long, long time. But when it got to a point where it was affecting my cognitive, cognitive abilities, then you know, I did decide that you know, I, I couldn't really take a chance on making a major mistake. So um, some days I'm really good with that. Um, other days it's a struggle for me just to be able to, you know, to put some thoughts together. Right now, thankfully, the good days outweigh the bad, but I can't really predict it. You know, when I get up in the morning, I might seem fine, but somewhere in the afternoon, I start to lose focus and, you know, have trouble, you know, really, um, I guess you would say puzzle solving, you know, trying to figure out things. Then other days, I'm completely fine the whole day. Other days, you know, from the moment I get up, I know that I'm going to have difficulty. So sometimes if there's, you know, an inconsistent time frame between episodes, it may be that either physically I'm having some difficulties or even just the ability to you know, put together the podcast. I did actually start recording this um, on one day, but I got to a certain point where I couldn't even really put the pieces together of, you know, a sentence, you know, I would get to the last phrase and what I was saying, I didn't make complete sense. So, um, that's very hard for me to accept, but it is something that I'm adjusting to. I've tried to adjust in ways in my life, such as, um, buying Alexa she's kind of an assistant, so if I know I have to do something, you know, I I have little speakers throughout the house, um, and say, Alexa, remind me too, and you'll give the information. That way, I'm not forgetting anything important. 
a couple of years ago, sorry, Walmart started the pickup service for groceries. So I started using that at that time. Um, since COVID-19, they have started delivery in my area. So as soon as that happened, I started the delivery service. Um, one of my doctors even told me that she hasn't gone grocery shopping just because she knows that many of the patients that she works with, um, you know, do have a compromised immune system and she didn't want to take that chance. So, you know, I'm grateful that some things have adjusted so that even in my daily life, you know, after hopefully COVID-19 kind of calms down or evens out, you know, we'll still have those, you know, services where, you know, I can get the essentials of everyday life because, you know, going through a grocery store was extremely difficult. You know, it wore me out basically. So I know this, this episode had to be split into two episodes. I guess I technically didn't need to split it up, but you know, I really wanted to go through the details and give all the information but I don't want it to sound like it's ultra negative. You know, even though there were a lot of times where, you know, the diagnosis may have been missed, I do also know it's not something that any of the doctors see on any given day. For most of the doctors that I see, this is the first time they've encountered it. Um, I have had a couple of doctors who have seen it but in both cases, they worked in a larger area, whether it was for their residency or where they went to school. Um, and that's where, you know, they've seen it in the larger metropolitan areas, one in a larger hospital in Baltimore and one in New York City. So um, yeah, I was really thankful then that I didn't have to explain what it was and they actually had some experience in it. So a lot of times, you know, I will at least have something printed out before I go see a doctor um, if they're new, but, you know, I'm hoping with the approved medication that was approved um, around mid-2020 that this will kind of lend momentum for research on not only this auto-inflammatory disease, but also any disease that you know, does have some inflammation parts to it. One of the things that honestly scared me was after COVID-19 started, I did read some articles where it did say that some children were getting an inflammatory illness. And, you know, it's really, really scary when your family's already prone to that. On the other hand, I also saw that a medication that's used to treat rheumatoid arthritis did show um, a positive impact on those who you know, were hospitalized for COVID. Now, I just kind of saw that on a tweet, I believe, but if I can find the article, I will go ahead and public, I'm sorry, I'll go ahead and put that in the description notes. Again, I do like to stay positive, so what I'm hoping everybody takes away from this is not the fact that I had to go to a number of doctors or that it went on for 
you know, long period of time. What I'm hoping is that if you're having difficulty, that you'll see that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that, you know, you can actually get that answer, but keep on advocating for yourself. Know your rights. You know, if there's a patient advocate at the hospital, speak with them. You know, just try to maintain um, or try to be prepared whenever you speak with someone. I know it's not always possible if someone's asking you a question, you know, in the middle of something, but you know, tr just try to have all your information available to, you know, advocate for yourself and, again, know that, you know, there are people out there who are trying to help you. Even if you have a bad experience with a doctor, you know what? There are other doctors out there. So try to find the one that's best for you. Just as with everything in life, there are different personality, I'm sorry, personalities, different approaches to things. So what one person may see as the best doctor for them, you might see as, you know, the worst doctor or just subpar for you. So you know, make sure you're comfortable in all of those aspects. So that's where I'm going to end this topic for today. As I've said in you know, some parts of the podcast or some episodes, that sometimes my posting of new episodes might be delayed some, and that's just because you know, sometimes I'm exhibiting more symptoms and it's harder to actually do the podcast. I know that I had been you know, looking at different approaches on you know, how to react when someone says something or does something and how even different people can take you know, a certain phrase or a wording differently than the next person. So I was just going to look at those approaches. I did have to push that back a little bit uh, because that would take a little bit more time to delve into. So I did just want to go ahead and share this topic as well. So I hope that everybody, you know, was able to get what I was hoping from this, that you know, even though it's difficult at times, it's okay. You will find the answer. And, you know, I feel that this has actually made me a stronger person. Even, you know, in my experience as a mother, I've learned, you know, what is the most important thing that I really need to fight for or know that I need, what other things can I say, okay, I need to still look at this, but this other need is more pressing. Though I wish the circumstances were different, I really do feel that I've grown and I think a lot of people can learn from the experience that experiences that they have all being diagnosed. I really do hope that no one has to go through a long period of time before there's a diagnosis, but you know, I know that in some cases it is a long period of time. So just you know, keep your chin up. I don't want to use too many cliches um, to describe it, but you know, keep going and you will find your answer as long as you keep fighting for yourself. So um, I will you know, continue to try to work on the episodes I've been talking about. If you do have any episode suggestions, because I'm finding 
you know, I've done a few episodes now, and the topics that fit a general audience um, of an invisible disease, some of the topics that I found are more narrow or more focused. So if there's a topic that you would like me to, co- to cover, whether it's you know, a broader spe- spectrum that can impact almost everyone with an invisible illness, or if it's more narrowed to a specific family or type, Um, please feel free to email me or contact me through any of my social media. It's going to be listed in the description of the podcast below. Um, My email is seetheinvisible2020 at gmail.com. And that's probably the best way of getting in contact with me. Or the Facebook page is seetheinvisible2020, all one word. So, um, you know, those are probably the two top ways. Now, as always, I appreciate everyone who's taken time out to listen today. I really hope that this message of support or positivity can have a positive impact on someone. I've kind of been learning how this whole podcast thing works, you know, um, just as... I've been recording more episodes and even listening to more episodes. I know I briefly mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but I found that it is supposed to help more people find us if there's more subscribers or more downloads or more five-star ratings. I know not every podcatcher has um, an option to rate a podcast. I did see something, though, on the actual web page um, for Red Circle, which is the host or platform for the podcast. So if you do link to it directly from there, there should be an option, as well as I know I've seen the options in iTunes if you happen to sub- subscribe there. Um, you know, I do want honest feedback, though, so I know that five-star ratings help you know, advance the podcast, but if there's any other feedback, I want to make the podcast better and also be able to, you know, provide information for both a broader base of people who have an invisible disease, as well as, you know, if there's something specific that needs to be addressed in certain um, types of illnesses. So if you do get an opportunity, please go in and you know, rate the podcast or leave some feedback. If you do think that someone else might, you know, benefit from just hearing a message of support, please feel free to um, share the podcast. I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much and talk to you next week. Bye.